Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, leaders, clinicians and investors that are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. As regular listeners will know, I am a CEO and health tech founder myself of a company called PocDoc. PocDoc is digitally supercharging the cardiometabolic pathway, making it as easy as possible for anyone to get screened uh, for cardiovascular disease or cardiometabolic diseases using phones, tablets, in the community, at home and in clinics. So if you want more information on PocDoc, head to PocDoc.co. Um, we actually just announced a partnership with Roche, which we're quite excited about. So please head there. And thanks as always to PocDoc for supporting the show. Thanks also for everybody who is listening live on UK Health Radio. Thanks as ever to Johan and his amazing production team for bringing us the platform um, here, which is fantastic. The other thing I would say is thanks to everyone who's listening on Spotify, Apple, any of those podcast channels as we go out after the fact or who's watching this on YouTube. We are now being listened to by listeners in over 42 countries every single month, which is awesome. Uh, we wouldn't be here without you guys. So thank you very much. So on to today's show. Actually, just to mention last week's show, Jess with Jess McCready from Octopus Ventures. If you are interested in hearing directly from uh, some of the leading investors in the health tech and health technology space, healthcare spaces, Jess McCready, the one from last week, she's the principal investor at Octopus Ventures. It was a great show. There's tons of really interesting stuff in there, particularly around diversity and the importance of diversity in both financial and uh, startup uh, institutions, as well as their thesis and the importance of having the right thesis and why people invest and the big no-nos for them in terms of what they look for and what they don't look for. Then the, the interview that we did before that, there's a point to me mentioning this, which was with Chris Bischoff from General Catalyst. Chris was one of the original investors in a business called Babylon Health that we have covered on here. And one of the big stories over the weekend in the Sunday Times was a huge expose. Uh, if you can get hold of it, if you can, if you want to do the paywall thing, then you can. Um, I put a I put a link to it up on, on my LinkedIn and on, on my Twitter um, is a huge expose, double page spread on the rise and fall of Babylon Health. So which Babylon Health, as many people might know, claimed to be a digital front door to make primary care more effective than it is using its AI doctor. So it was a big, big, big story. And this week on the show, we have Carmelo Insulaco, who is the CEO and founder of Rapid Health and who have developed a digital front door, which is focused on musculoskeletal and other conditions. So um, great timing from our production team getting Camelo on the show I'm really interested to get into this stuff with him so Camelo welcome to the show how are you uh good thanks happy to be here great so 
normally we start with kind of going into a little bit of the background a little bit of the journey like how you got to where you got to but i think this instance we're just going to jump straight into it what did you did you see the story about babylon health over the weekend i guess you're relatively familiar with oh you saw it yeah and i and read it yeah and obviously there's been a lot uh a lot of coverage on that over the past couple of weeks and months but uh, you know uh, a, the double spread in the times on the weekend really brought brought it to life to a lot more people i think so i thought it was uh, and they they got the little like the bottom bit on the front page as well um yeah. what so what do you think what's your take on it i, I think you know there's uh f- there's a there's a bit there on kind of your know, marketing a product uh, and then another bit on there around what problem Babylon was trying to solve. Uh, and I think one of the issues with that whole situation is that, you know, Babylon went into a market trying to disrupt it without trying to work closely with it. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, primary care specifically, they went in trying to turn the general practice model slightly upside down. So, uh, you know, they created a lot of enemies, uh, even though you know, what Babylon was trying to solve was that it is still a problem today, which is which is all around access. So I think, you know, they got the digital front door right in terms of trying to solve that problem. Uh, but whilst also trying to you know, change primary care for the better, it's uh, about I think the execution, on the other hand, you know, cause some 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 friction with the with the, <laughs> with the primary care. I think you're being very, very diplomatic there. The um, so good. Good job. The, the Yeah, I would agree. And, and that's something that the guy, Chris Bischoff, who was the MD of General Catalyst, not the last show but the last show the show before that so if you want to check it out head over to apple or any of the podcast platforms or actually the youtube videos got got, got quite a lot got quite a lot of traction was um this debate between was the thesis correct and the execution wrong or was the thesis wrong and the execution was wrong right so yeah. it's 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 it even i think even in that article they may have even used that phrase which is like he wasn't technically wrong or, or yeah. Ali and, and but they weren't technically wrong in what they were trying to do. It was more around how it was executed. And to your point around putting up the, you know, putting the backup of people in primary care. I think that there was that moment where they published something where it was it said that their AI doctor was better than a doctor yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. And I think fundamentally, you know, if you look at it, uh, you know, when we talk about the word AI and we try to avoid that, actually, just because it's so misunderstood. But when you look at it, you know, a doctor doesn't try to pass an exam when they're with a patient. OK, nice. so, so I think, you know, fundamentally that test of passing an exam and obviously how you go about that is so nuanced that, you know, it doesn't really align to reality. So yeah, and also, you know, when they did that, I think they did at the Royal uh, uh, Society of Physicians, didn't they? And they stood yeah, up. Yeah, something did, like that. Yeah. Yeah. They stood up and did that. And obviously that caused a lot of issues when they, and then they're obviously, you know, you open Pandora's box in terms of when the, uh, the from a clinician perspective, trying to look at, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing that? And, you know, I think that that was the beginning of the end for a lot of things. Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's obviously this other business called Ada, you know, Ada Health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then um, and I know that those guys were sort of locked into a kind of like we don't really want to say we're in a death match, but we're sort of in a death match kind of thing. Like we don't really want to come out and like overtly criticize Babylon or do anything like that. But like, I, I know that they've sort of, yeah, 
were in that in that space so i think it's what's interesting is that they were both and and we can kind of parlay this into talking about rapid health in a second but like this idea of using a digital front door to to more accurately more efficiently place people into the primary care system on the face of it is a pretty good idea right i I assume you feel that way because that's kind of probably your area I, I i would definitely agree right it's great good um but what what was it that because ada health i think has done it apparently i haven't gone under the clinical hood but in a way which seems to have been more and, and rapid health i'm sure is the same way more appreciated by clinicians than perhaps babylon was and like what what where where does that difference come from yeah, so I mean, so I would, I mean, I still remember when Babylon launched this uh, and and how they were communicating their value to the market, and it always seemed like Babylon was there to replace doctors. Okay, right. so I think you know already you're you know I think it's going to be always going to be very difficult to replace humans generally, right? Uh, and I think you know companies which are going to succeed or like what we're trying to do at Rapid Health is really how do we take away the noise from the human but also facilitate a seamless experience for the patient where both can work in harmony uh, and you look at you know a lot of systems the issue with this space is you know a lot of these digital front doors some cause too much fatigue for patients others actually cause a lot more information overload for the clinician mm. so it's always a should say juggling act in terms of sh- streamlining that end to end in a way that doesn't actually cause more work yeah, you know, so uh, here at Rapid Health, we're really focused on, you know, what is a total footprint uh, versus yeah. just that single touch point. So how did you kind of because obviously Babylon launched huge, clearly yeah. huge amount of fan funfare, funfare, fanfare. Sorry, funfare. I had that in my mind because I took the kids in half term to a funfare. The <laughs> um, the um, huge amount of fanfare. Then obviously Ada launched. Ada raised about 200 million pounds in, in, in venture funding. You've got other businesses in and around this space. So w- what was it that sort of you felt like actually no, there's enough wrong with what these other people are doing that there's an opportunity here to do it in this particular way? Yeah, and like, sure. so how, how did you come to that that thought process? Yes. Yeah, so, so I'll give you a bit of context. So, so I've worked in healthcare now for just over, well, just over 20 years. OK. Uh, and in all those uh, roles I've had, you know, digital has been part of it. You know, my background, I'm not a clinician. I'm a computer scientist. So, you know, that very nature, I've always been interested in in, you know, the application of technology in healthcare. Now, one of the challenges typically in this space is that a lot of organizations launch with a product or a point solution. And then they expand from there. OK. And the issue of point solutions is you're focused on solving a particular problem, but potentially not focused on solving the overall ecosystem problem. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we try to do differently was we never actually started with a triage product. We actually started with a technology where you can digitize a continuum of care pathway. And if you think around, you know, in, in the healthcare space of pathway, you know, pathways can have different entry points. Some people start at the beginning. Some people have already got a condition and they go some yep. you know, in between. So the issue with a lot of solutions is, you know, are they actually solving the you know, the entirety of the pathway or are they simply you know, focused on that one touch point? Uh, and yeah, yep. so so what we've done at Rapid Health was we started with a technology which could fundamentally uh, 
digitize any of those touch points. And from a triage perspective, the other thing we did that's different to, I would suspect, a lot of other players in this space is we never focused on a pre-diagnosis diagnosis tool. OK, so if you look at a lot of symptom checkers. Uh, hold on a minute. Hold on. Let's back up a second. Let's because we're a broad church, a pre-diagnosis diagnosis tool. What what what? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to explain what that. Do you yeah. mean by, OK, great. OK, good. So, so so if you look at typical symptom checkers, so let's say as a patient, you go online and you answer a few questions. And at the end, what a lot of these systems typically tell you is, you know, what you may have and then some other things you may have. And and they typically assert, and they typically give you a confidence. You know, you may have UTI. You may also have sepsis, for example. Yeah. Okay. Now, the reality of a lot of those systems is you're still going to have to see someone at the end of it. OK, yeah. So what so they've gathered a lot of information and they're trying to figure out, you know, before you see somebody, what is it you, you could have? And typically the things that you could have do need further investigation. So they might need a blood test. You might need some diagnostics. OK. Yeah. Uh, and as the market has evolved, a lot of those systems are now trying to turn into triage systems. Now, triage, in essence, is trying to understand how soon should I see you? OK. Where should I see you? and uh, who should see you okay so there's a difference between this idea of a symptom checker which is you could have any one of these two or three things and then because tr- interesting because i think a lot of people including myself possibly conflate the two whereas yeah. and so and uh, but actually triage is more focused on the how the where and the when correct, piece of it. correct. okay and you can imagine that's very difficult to determine if you are looking for a diagnosis for example because you could have one of 20, 30 things. And, yes. you know, and when it comes to so so you'll see a lot of you know, uh, technology providers trying to pivot or market as a triage solution. But if you actually look at where they started, they started as trying to digitize, you know, the encyclopedia of, of medicine. Yes. Well, that's ba- yeah, that's basically what Babylon tried to do. Yeah. And Correct. right. Like this giant decision tree. Right. So what where, where we've taken a completely different approach is that. So we've been going now for just over just close to four and a half years. And when we started this, you know, we obviously started with a technology and the goal then was to to do something very difficult, which was how do you digitize triage? Okay. Because yeah. triage is you know, triage in essence is also slightly subjective. Okay. You yeah. may go to several clinicians and several clinicians might say, one might say, I want to see you today, another might say, I want to see you tomorrow. Now, why yeah. is that why is that subjective? Okay. And you know, you from a clinical perspective, you know, clinicians, of course, are well trained and have a lot of experience. Uh, but some cl- clinicians, you know, might be going more towards their gut and experience, others more towards the textbook. Uh, but typically in a triage situation, you know, a clinician's not saying, you know, this person uh, you know, might have sepsis. What they're what clinicians may typically be thinking is, you know, this is a high risk patient with a high fever. OK, yeah. that they've had for over three days. OK. Uh, which is a completely different way of thinking about it. And from that perspective, you know, you're saying actually they probably do need to see a GP versus they need to see a nurse or a pharmacist. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so with Rapid Health, that's kind of what we do, which which is different, which is we started with trying to solve the triage problem. And by doing that, the goal there is to try and summarize what the clinical situation is that the patient it, it has. Okay. So, you know, Patients might present, you know, they might call GP practice for various reasons, but they're typically telling the GP practice what symptoms they have. I've got a sore throat or it feels like acid reflux or, you know, I've got a headache that I've had for four days. 
Right. OK, they're not go they're not going to call a GP practice <clears throat> and saying, you know, I think I've got, you know, sepsis, for example. No, they, well, that's where symptom checkers came in, which is like, right, I've got a headache. What yep. is it? And then you get you work your way through and that's yeah, yep. that's completely. So, so, and the, so the outcome of our system is really around trying to summarize that situation in a way that you can then effectively determine how soon should this patient be seen? Where should they be seen and by whom? And those three key pieces of information, you know, really is is one of the biggest bottlenecks in primary care at the moment, because that that whole activity typically takes a substantial amount of resource, uh, clinical and administrative resource, uh, and also in turn, uh, substantially dramatically changes patient behaviours uh, in mm -hmm. terms of their expectations, in terms of what they feel they have versus what the practice believes they well, they need. And it's taking on a lot more risk. Right. It, there's a lot more yep. risk in those judgments mm -hmm. versus a symptom checker that I mean, I'm not even sure a symptom checker would qualify as a medical device. If all you're doing is you're saying, I think it could be any one of these 10 things. I'm not yeah. I'm, I mean, like the NHS 111 website is not a medical device, I assume. But, so, but, but, but symptom checkers do need to be most of them. Nearly, I would suspect all symptom checkers do need to be a medical device because they do influence potential decisions. Oh, you think they would be even yeah, if they're yeah, saying so it could be one of these three or four things? I know that I know the. um. I know Babylon had to make it that way, and I'm sure that they did. But I thought that they were trying to do a bit of triage as well. That was why. But maybe not. Yeah. So if, any, if, you, if you're trying to influence a decision at all or anything that impacts decision, typically would need to be a medical device. Unless, of course, at the end of your unless unless, of course, at the end of your journey, you put this is, you know, not medical information. Like, um, for example. like when you do your um, ECG on the Apple Watch and it says, yeah, yeah. Can, under no circumstances should you use this at all for any kind of anything. Um, right. So we have to go for our first commercial break right now, but we'll be back in two minutes with Carmelo Insulaco from Rapid Health. We'll be back in two minutes. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. When you vacation with Norwegian Cruise Line, every day is a new day. Get a taste for Barcelona. Then savor incredible dining options back on board one day. Connect to ancient history in Athens and then disconnect completely in our spa another day. Wherever the sea breeze takes you, come aboard and experience a different tomorrow with NCL. Visit ncl.com, call your travel agent, or call 0333-336-1472. Norwegian Cruise Line, Ships Registry, The Bahamas in USA. Apples and pears, beef and skittles, cider with Rosie, common or garden, ant and deck, fish and chips, mum and dad. UK Open Health that. Radio and Health Strong Triangle and Magazine. Each is good by itself, but enjoying One both is always better. Add Health Triangle Magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at UKHealthRadio.com. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. 
Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the second part of this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and my guest this week, Carmelo Insulaco, who is the CEO and founder of Rapid Health, which are a digital triage business using artificial intelligence to make it more efficient to get people into and seen and treated into primary care. So, Carmelo, before the break, we got onto a really interesting area, which is the difference between symptom checkers and triage. Rapid Health's focus on triage you mentioned that within primary care so gp system which is clearly under a huge amount of strain at the moment you said that there was quite a lot of time and focus and resources dedicated to this idea of someone phones up or or there's an inbound contact from somebody somehow phone text email whatever else they have some symptoms that they explain the the process after those symptoms of establishing what they might have, who might need to see them, when they should be seen uh, and what possible diagnostics need to happen in order for those interventions to be effective. That 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 strikes me as a large number of very important questions and so very complex questions as well. So how how it, how big of an issue is that or, or like if if we get that right, what's the possible, I don't know, resources that we unlock or, yeah. or backlog that we remove if we get that right and then secondly how is it the rapid health or how are you guys thinking about that approach that problem yeah so let, let's start with some context okay so let, let's how, how does how does a typical patient access you know general practice with a doctor okay so right now you know typically a patient will have to call the practice at 8 a.m okay and yeah. the reason why because you know yes there's some clinical triage but tip you know a lot of practices it is going to be first come first served on that triage okay uh then a patient may spend quite a long time on hold okay to be mm-hmm. put to, to be put to the receptionist team uh and then again right now a lot of practice that receptionist team is either doing some basic triage and determine if you need a same day appointment or can or can wait or they hand it over to one of the doctors who then potentially calls you back and then even then you know you don't know when they're going to call you back there's no set time uh and primarily right now in the nhs you know a lot of gp practices you know believe it or not are actually running you know a same day service right, right. which means which essentially means that you know there's still a lot of appointments which are given a same day service which are not urgent uh, right. So this then in turn limits the pre-bookable, you know, the routine side of things. Right. Because so they, they, they offer a same day service for anything. Just some percentage of their appointments are available for the same day. Well, it could be because, you know, from a triage perspective, there's limited data captured. OK, right. So so, you know, and this is where from a subjectivity and skills and uh, bottleneck, you know, play a part in you know, does it need a same day or not? You know, I've only captured enough information. Uh, and then, you know, you if you speak to a lot of doctors, you know, potentially a lot will say 40, 50 percent of the patients I've seen today could have waited. Is that okay. what they say? 40 to 50 yeah. percent could have waited? And I, I, I think I think the number's actually larger. But if you look, you know, in terms of a safe figure, there's a high proportion. And obviously we're generalizing here because every practice is different in, her, in terms of how they operate. But at a, as, as a, a generalization, you know, it's a high number. OK, right. it's a high right. number of patients. I see. Let's see. And if you look at kind of patients' perceptions, I think recently Ipsos Mori did a did a survey with the Health Foundation, and you know, 65% of the public 
think that GP services are getting worse, right? Bearing in mind, right. GP services are actually trying to offer a same day service. Okay. Right. And, you know, I think over 40 percent uh, said that, you know, wait times are too long. Right. And typically, you know, if you dig deeper, why is that? Well, it's because most of the resources are on the same day. There's not good triage. There's not good navigation. Everyone typically is going to a GP. You're, you know, you're the most finite resource. And, you know, that's a spiral. Yeah. Okay. And then on the other side, let's not forget the practices, because, you know, from what we see, practices are working really hard. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, uh, there's, yeah. there was some data that some what a GP or maybe it was the GP Federation put out that like GPs have never worked harder or, or, or there have yeah. never been more appointments delivered Correct. than Correct. now. So, it, yeah, I mean, it may be not keeping pace with demand, but you can't say that they're not seeing more people because exactly. they are exactly. seeing more people. Exactly. So they're seeing, correct. They're seeing more people. You know, but, but if you look at the day in the life of a practice, you know, staff morale is low. OK, there's a, a relentless amount of inbound phone calls. The demand is unsustainable. And just to top it off, workforce shortages. It is right. not a happy place to be in general, because although they're trying to help the patient, you can imagine the patient wants just one thing. OK, yeah. And, and then you look at you know, another stat for you. If you I think records began, I think, in 2015 when they were looking at GP numbers. And I think GP numbers, I think it was almost down by 2000 GP since 2015. OK, wow. And just to make it worse, GP numbers are lower in the most deprived areas. Yeah, of course. All right. Yeah. So if you look at kind of this problem, okay, so you've got a workforce problem. You've also got a behavioural problem. And this is uh, this is an issue that probably, you know, is not spoken about a lot, but it's something that we actually focus to solve. OK, and we can talk about this kind of when we when we talk about how we trying to solve the problem, because sure. technology enables you, you know, to, to solve problems. But it is not the answer to all problems. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so it's ha- how, how that works. And obviously, you know, the the government and the NHS have launched some initiatives to help solve those. Uh, so there's lots going on in this space. OK. Yeah. I mean, it's a known issue. It's a, it's a known issue. So it's not this, this is not an this is not kind of, an, uh, you know, an elephant in the room anymore. It is a known issue and there's a lot happening to to address it. Now, as you can imagine, yeah. there's lots of different thesis on how to address it. OK, we touched on it at the beginning with you know, Babylon. Was their yeah. thesis hypothesis correct? I think it was. Right. How what about their execution? How did they try doing that? So from our perspective, when, when yeah, rapid health, when we're looking at the problem, we're really looking at kind of a th- few key areas okay one is there's no point having a technology if at the end of that journey of the technology someone at the practice still has to action something because yeah. what, what all you're fundamentally doing is adding a new channel and in turn adding more work whereas yeah, right now just, if you think you're about just it sli- you're just slightly slowing things down you know yep. but you at the end of the day still there's a physical human that ultimately has to do something very correct, specific correct, correct. so so, yeah. so what's so reality is what are you you may be making something more efficient or well, the action of doing that but you've also added a new channel so what you yeah. so so if you i mean here's it so if you notice right now i don't know so if you last time or, you know you you actually accessed your gp online in the uk but typically you know that online access is switched off at some time during the day it's not right. on 24 7 Right. No. The reason why it's not on 24-7 is because your GP practice are really concerned about opening the floodgates. Not only have they got the phone line used to protect them. Right. There's only you can only answer one phone call at a time if you've got one receptionist. Yeah. So patients either hold or they drop off. And when patients right. drop off, you're now increasing what is called your unmet demand. Patients right. like me who will say I'm not sick enough yet to call the GP practice because I know. But I probably yeah. should see them. Yeah. Yeah. 
and are they sort of like do they view that like almost as a I, they would never come and say this i'm sure well maybe they would i don't know i think probably doubt that they would but it's sort of like if you're not sick enough to keep calling you're probably it's almost like an unofficial triage well actually actually i mean i would say gp practice it the other way around i we have never seen a gp practice that doesn't want to see a patient okay right. so 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 the, the okay. issue the issue is is imagine being in a gp practices situation when you can't see them okay yeah. So the only so, you know, I you know, it's a it's a really difficult place to be. But you look OK, so you look at lots of digital technologies. OK. Fundamentally, from a digital technology perspective, you know, having a form that captures information that still has to be reviewed potentially doesn't solve the fundamental problem, which is there is a bottleneck at the point of contact, which is typically yeah. why do I need to see you? When should I see you and who should see you? Okay? Yeah. Uh, and so someone still has to do that. And the second one is, well, do we even have enough capacity to see you if that capacity is currently being used to try and triage you? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. so you know, you're getting into this, you know, if you you look at like a flywheel, you know, you, you get just you start to get into this black hole. So where Rapid Health has tried to change that is our goal here is how do you eliminate the noise whilst also safely triaging? And, and our goal is always only send the gp practice you know what we'd call like you know a signal the right the right the right yeah. cases which you have to review but everything else why not a patient goes through that whole journey without any contact with the practice and the practice doesn't need to do anything so i mean if you look at our customers for example over 95 percent of our customers keep rapid health switched on 24 7. so okay. what does that actually mean it means that patients can access their gp practice 24 7. they can book an appointment 24 7. They can be triaged 24-7. OK. OK. And what that and, uh, and I mean, and what that helps is it helps drive down patient anxiety. Yeah. So if you think right now when you when a, a patient calls a GP practice, OK, the first thing a patient wants is most likely a same day appointment. OK. And a patient typically wants a same day appointment because they are they're already assumed that the alternative is I'm not going to be seen for weeks otherwise if it's not urgent. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah. now you think of that behavior, what what that drives. It drives a patient corner practice, potentially exaggerating symptoms, potentially, you know, having to be seen two or three times now because they might have gone to the, the wrong place first time because yeah. their symptoms, you know, weren't correct. So you, you you know, and now that just takes up more capacity, more. So with rapid health. Uh, you know, let's say a patient who, uh, if you with rapid health, you're able to give more choice. Okay, so okay. if you if you as a patient have more choice, okay, you're going to be less anxious about potentially booking a same day appointment. Why? Because yeah. you're saying, you know, same day appointments are inconvenient. Yeah. Right. Why are they yeah. inconvenient? Because typically most people have something to do on that day. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So so uh, and the issue why most uh, patients aren't offered. A pre-bookable appointment which is you know an appointment you can book which is not today okay yeah. is because a lot of practices don't want all their capacity to be taken up days and weeks in advance because they need it for the same day because they're not triaging effectively yeah okay? so you just you just carry on this, this back hole so here's here's a, like some insights for you so look at our customers who keep rapid health on 24 7 and on a weekend most patients who go online on a weekend typically don't choose a monday appointment Okay. They also typically don't choose a Tuesday appointment. And of course, we're talking about here if it's not genuinely urgent. OK, 
Yeah. So let's assume it's not generally urgent. And the and our rapid health has given the patient choice. You can be seen at any time in the next week or two weeks. Most patients would typically choose like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and potentially into the next week. Yeah. That in turn starts unlocking that same day capacity. So by the time you get to Monday, those patients who would have called at 8 a.m., who would have been uh, offered a same day appointment, have already been booked in. So is this more of a um, is this more of a an organisational uh, mindset, or is it like a clinical mindset, or is it a bit of both? It's it's both. So I'll say so. You know, right now, if you look at a lot of systems, you know, you've got some which focus on the administrative side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that administrative side is potentially slightly easier because you know, from a compliance perspective. You know, there's probably more you can do from a clinical perspective. It's much more complex. You know, you've got clinical safety, which is around yeah. you know, making sure the system does something that doesn't cause harm. Yeah. Yeah. You then have the, should we say, the regulatory items such as medical devices we, you, you touched on earlier. OK, which is not easy in, ter- in terms of how are you ensuring that your technology has been created safely and effectively. Uh, and and then you have you know, the other challenge, which we haven't even spoken about, is interoperability. It's very difficult to even book an appointment, right? uh, let alone in the NHS because of because of the systems. Uh, so, yeah. again, so, that, so that, that's an interesting one, which I think maybe some people don't quite realize, because, again, we're a broad church of listeners. So there's this word interoperability, which I'm get Was it coined in the NHS? I don't know where it was coined, but it's a it's been a word. It's been around for ages, which basically means how easy it is to integrate your system or a system into yep. another system. So when you go online and you book, uh, uh, you book a table at a restaurant, you go to the restaurant's website and it might have like open table or resi or whatever the system is. That system is very easily integratable into the restaurant system. And in fact, the restaurant may just even use like the open table back end yeah. to look at those appointments it is not the case in the NHS that that happens. So even if your GP surgery, this is usually to correct me if I'm wrong, even if there's a GP surgery that decides to use a, for example, because one thing people might say is, oh my God, why don't GP surgeries just use appointment booking services? And they're like, that in theory might make sense, but yeah. it might be that there aren't any, that the actual integration of that service into the GP's clinical record service and tracking service and everything that needs to happen is just almost impossible. And, and just to add to that, okay, simply opening up your appointment book to a patient is also very difficult because if you opened up your appointment book, every appointment would be taken up without any sort of filter or triage. Yes. Okay, so, put, so, right. So exactly, exactly. Everyone, it would just get booked yeah. up. Yeah. So, 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 let's, so, so, and then we'll move on kind of how rapid health solve this problem. So you look at, so look at the challenge we've just discussed here. You've got a workforce challenge you know from the go you then have behavioral issues from the go okay you also have the system issues which is well even if we wanted to give all these appointments how are we going to do it if they're so precious there has to be some sort of filter in front of it and that filter is not a yes no filter this is a clinical filter which typically needs a human okay yes so you've got all these challenges and then to top it off it is very difficult to integrate to communicate with other systems in the NHS. And then once you've integrated, it's also very difficult to prove that what you're doing is safe. Okay. Yeah, Cause you can't prove it. It's hard. To, you can, you can definitely find mistakes, but it's hard to, it's, you can't prove a negative if that makes sense. So it's like very easy to look at where it didn't work, but then actually yeah. it's hard to say, well, no, this is actually a lot better than what we were doing before yeah. clinically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, exactly. Right. So we're going to go for our final commercial break and then let's come back and dig into this because we very clearly set up the problem. And then we're going to nicely, neatly segue into how Rapid Health solves the problem or these problems. So we will be back in two minutes with the final part of this week's show with my guest Carmelo Insulaco from Rapid Health. We'll be right back. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nature's Medicine for Modern Living, a people and plants dialogue hosted by Sophie.Health. At Sophie, we bring together experts and voices who rarely cross paths. Our quest is to illuminate the ancient world of plant medicine and reimagine it for the connected age. Join us to explore new boundaries of digital personalized medicine with deep roots in the natural world and hear from our community of international pioneers who are validating this new paradigm and improving how we feel, sleep, and cope with daily stresses naturally. Sophie.Health, reconnecting people and plants. Once upon a time, human slavery was just a fact of life. Right now, animal abuse is often considered normal in time, it won't be. Animal Aid campaigns peacefully against all forms of animal abuse and promotes cruelty-free living. Check out animalaid.org.uk. It's time for a kinder world. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour, the final part with me, Steve Roost, and my guest, Carmelo Insulaco, CEO and founder of Rapid Health. Before the break, Carmelo very, uh, very eruditely and eloquently set up the problem or the problems around uh, that Rapid Health is solving. So let's get into it. So how does Rapid Health think about these different things? Because there's a lot going on in there. So, so, So in our world, kind of the first the first challenge we set ourselves was how do you make accessing your gp practice easier than booking a hotel room easier okay. not just as easier. easy as as easy or easier in some situations i'll talk to you about some of those situations where it is easier okay okay uh, and it's easier because technically speaking you don't need to bring a credit pay. card with you right you don't need to pay yeah you don't need to pay so you actually got all the information in your head already right okay okay then on the other side how do you also support a gp practice with managing that demand because you know in the in the in the, in the, in the if you look at trying to balance this out you want to give patients 24 7 access but you also want to assure your customer in our world our customer the general practice that we can also help you manage demand with the workforce you already have without yeah, opening yeah. the floodgates because right now if a gp practice thinks the floodgates going to be open they're going to restrict access which is what's happening yeah. on you know, so again it doesn't solve anything so how do we solve the problem so the first thing we we did for the patient journey is that make sure at the end of a patient journey the patient is able to get what they want okay mm-hmm. and what they want can be a mixture of things it might be a referral it might be an appointment okay it might be for them to know if they're eligible for a vaccine for example okay yeah what happened before rapid health at the end of a journey the journey would typically say someone will contact you within 48 hours which right. guess what happens if somebody tells you that if if, if amazon said to you you've ordered this product it's going to be within 48 hours you might call amazon and say where is it i need to know what what time it's coming etc yeah so you actually you know 
if you uh, most patients who served online potentially will still call the practice so what problem are you solving you've actually made the problem worse yeah and also i would imagine most people think oh that's just an automated message i'll yeah. just call to i'll just call to check call to check they got it yeah yeah you got yeah. it you got it yeah. so so you, you know it, and these are all around behaviors right these are all in terms of how those systems work so if at the end at the end of a rapid health journey you know in the majority of cases that patient will not call that practice so they've actually served online, they've stayed online and they've got what they wanted online, which, again, now starts freeing up the phone lines. And how so do you, you know and how do you know that what you've delivered or what they've got that they're happy with is clinically safe, accurate? Yeah, really or however question. you define it. Really good question. So the way our system works is everything our system does is fully transparent to the to the to the practice. OK, so the practice we for instance, we write to the patient record. OK, mm -hmm. so the practice all can see everything the system has done, the conclusions the system has come to, whilst also the choice that was offered to the patient. So we, you know, we over the past four years, four and a half years, you know, we spent a lot of time on validating that with you know, a lot of GP practices and obviously, you know, a lot of clinics. So, I mean, when we started, we had over 34 clinicians basically go through. Uh, kind of you know the outputs of the system to try and you know did they agree or not and typically where clinicians diverge okay so cl clinicians will typically not argue around what potentially is wrong with the patient in terms of you know at a triage perspective where they'll typically argue is how soon should the patient be seen right where but we make that configurable in our system so a practice which may have more nurses and gps okay we make that configurable for a practice where our practices you know can adapt the system to to suit the you know their workforce but, but are you, are you sorry go on. i was going to say but fundamentally from that experience perspective the patient experience is paramount in solving the problem it's, it's okay. as simple as that right and if you make the experience easy uh i mean here's another stat for you okay so we've done a lot of accessibility studies and and we've done those in collaboration with nhs england as well and if you look do you know what the average reading age is in the uk adult reading age or excluding children uh well the average yeah the, the, the it's adult reading age so the average reading age in the uk i mean it's it, the average wait so that's a confusing how does reading age is reading age like is it like the, the truth is, I don't know. And I don't know enough about the area to be able to make a judgment. But I do know that there is a major sort of slightly undiscussed, unpublicized issue with adult literacy. So, yeah, yeah so, I, so, I, I don't know, though, but I suspect. So, so, it's, it's, so, so the average reading age is nine years old. The average reading age of an adult in the UK is the same level as a nine year old. Wow. And and here's another scary step for you. 10% of that population, I think it's around 7, 7, 7.1 million adults read at or below the level of a nine year old. So there's so when we're talking about digital, you have to understand yeah. that, you know, there's a lot. There's some patients where they're concerned about using digital because as soon as the system asks them to to write something, they're concerned about kind of, you know, do they have literary skills to write their issue? Someone else is going to read that. So here's another example for you. Rapid Health doesn't have any free text. Yeah. So we are we ask patients questions and they can reply yes, no or select from a drop down. So how do you. Yeah, that makes sense. So how do you like because there was one famous example that that guy, you know, the guy that that um is it Dr. David Watkins or whatever his name was that went after Babylon on Twitter and was yeah, just yeah. like running those, you know, those um, screen records of just to try and kind of prove these things. So one of the ones that he came up with was sort of like 
Babylon said we think the Babylon literally said we think this is a panic attack like don't worry and actually it should have said this is a heart attack or or this could be a heart attack so how does your system does your system generate those similar outcomes that might get surfaced to the people in the practice or is the execution slightly different of it yeah both both right so there's lots of features within it right first of all you know we we obviously show everything to the practice but there's obviously other safety measures in terms of if the system notices certain uh certain things on the patient you know the system might just say you know you need to go to a and e or you need to do this uh but at all times the key there is access is open for the patient so another example for you when we look at online systems a lot of online systems may just tell the patient to go to a and e then most patients go yeah. backwards change their answers and try to get yeah. an, try to get an outcome that's not a and e okay so that right. doesn't help anyone right it doesn't yeah. help so in, in rapid health for example you can't go backwards in rapid health okay? right and just uh, forwards always just forwards, forwards right yeah. just forwards and, and but the key here is that at all opportunities a rapid health even if we signpost them somewhere so we might signpost them to a pharmacy or you signpost meaning you know, where else could they go okay mm-hmm. so you might tell a patient you know you should go here or you know you should go to a and e at all cases a patient can override that and the patient says actually you know here's the reason why i don't think i need to i still want an appointment and if you look okay. at the data we're capturing by giving patients choice it dramatically reduces the anxiety of the patient, which essentially means when they saw how easy it was to get an appointment, they're less likely to call every day to get more appointments. They're yeah. less likely. You know, so it's really interesting in terms of choice and access are actually <laughs> the key uh, points that are need to be addressed to solve the kind of uh, the challenges that currently in, in, in primary care. And then on the other side of the coin, if we look at the practice side of things, practices need to make the most out of the different skills that they have as a practice whereas right now typically the majority of patient inquiries at some point in that inquiry may may involve a gp now if there's not enough gps right. what happens well there aren't enough, enough gps right yeah. so like we know and that won't change anytime soon i mean hopefully there'll be a uh, someone will do something to mean that it, that more gps will come back into the service but you know this type of system which mm-hmm. combines the administrative with the yep. clinical to 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 reduce pressure just seems to make a lot of sense so what what if any pushbacks have there been i mean I, you know I, I know that you're you've been going for a few years you've got some good customers got some great evidence what, what are the biggest obstacles uh, in this i imagine inertia yeah. is one just it, yeah. Um, but yeah so so i mean lots of pushbacks as you can imagine right uh, and typically the pushbacks are because of uh preconceptions in terms of what's happened before okay? yeah i'm kind of yeah exactly right right so we you know, remember how we started this conversation yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah so yeah. preconceptions is a big factor the second one is understanding so as an example okay and you know i'm really happy we've just avoided this word on this on the on this chat you know okay we don't use the word ai or anything like that because no, the, reality, no. the, the reality the reality is as a company we're actually just focused on the patient experience and solving the problem if you can show someone the problem, why does it matter what technology you're using? Yeah, if you can... I, I, AI is widely overused anyway. I mean, yeah. even Babylon's wasn't really AI. It's just a decision tree. It's like machine learning decision tree, which is not bad in and of itself. But you just you yeah. scare people and, and make it seem like these things are going to ha- be happening outside of a clinical framework. I think. Yeah. So, so, so we don't so we, can, we don't talk about that because, you know, 
as long as, as long as the system works, it solves a problem and it's safe. It shouldn't matter because not everyone understands technology, nor should they need to. So, no. so that and then and obviously the third one is around uh, in transparency and kind of changing ways of working. And there's lots of things you know the NHS is doing around that because you can imagine a general practice has worked in a certain way, a to protect itself, yeah, right, and protect patients, and also b because of how you know GP contracts and all these kind of commercial arrangements with GPs uh, have evolved to support patient care. So if you look at how we address those. So the first one in terms of preconceptions, okay, hardest one to over because what what the typically happens is we've been told this before. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Or, heard this one before. We've heard this one before, or you know, you always got you know, well, we already have a solution, okay. Yeah. And and the reason why, so in, in the in the market right now, the word triage fundamentally means collecting information to support a yeah. practice to triage. Right. There's very little triage in the triage process because it's fundamentally, uh, you know, a form that captures information that then a human looks at. A human looks human at, right? Makes a okay, decision. Yeah. Correct. So yeah. when RapidTelv is talking about triage, when we talk about triage, we're talking about RapidTelv is your 24/7 digital care navigator and triage team. Okay. Yeah. The system collects the information, it interrogates it, it triages it, it can then navigate the patient, it can then allow the patient to self-book. All this yeah. is a simple solution, which then writes back to the patient record, all without the practice needing to do anything. Yeah. Okay. So we have to explain and emphasize every step of the the journey, so they understand that actually this is not one step. There's about ten steps in this, which each step in its own right involves substantial resource, human resource. Okay. With yeah. Rapid Health, we can eliminate that. So right now, if you look at our customer base, and this also helps the evidence base. Uh, you look at most of our customers where their patients are serving online, typically over 70 percent of patients who serve online have not needed to call the practice to book an appointment. Wow. So so already now you imagine what that does to the phone lines. You know, if you look at some of our customers, you know, typically in the first five to six weeks, they're measuring the 8 a.m. rush. And if you look at the 8 a.m. rush, just starting rapid health, let alone all the kind of the advanced capabilities we we have just starting would typically reduce your uh you know phone calls by about 27 percent okay okay that's and that's a pretty and that's, massive reduction that's, yeah and it, correct but but this gets better and better over time because over time what you're doing is you've got more flexibility to deliver better care at the right time and two patients are now happy to serve online whereas right now we have you know we look at change management and patient behaviors when a practice launches rapid health, they they have to be told to use rapid health. Why? Because previously, when they went online, they were submitting the form. So they, they, right. the patients assume that they're not going to get an appointment at the end because the language and all in the marketplace, all, all solutions yeah, about, typically, all typical solutions to right? so yeah. yeah, we need to break through that. Um, so that is all really interesting. And it sounds like you're going great guns. I always like to finish the show because we've come to the end of the show with a question which is more personal, which is, you know, can, can be a, a variety of different things. But today I want to just understand wh why did you choose to go into healthcare, Or how? So I, I so my cousin used to have a Harley Street clinic. So for those international audiences, OK, Harley Street is a street in London where there's essentially private healthcare clinics. OK, it's like a, it's like a code word for private doctors. Like, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, some, you know, some offering plastic surgery, some offering laser surgery, you know, it's 
Right. Yeah. So I started there. OK. And uh, when I was very young, when, you know, websites started. OK, so I started doing some websites and already then thinking about access, sales and marketing online. And then from that, you know, just evolved into really interesting in terms of, you know, why is it so hard to for, as a as a patient to basically know what you need and then be able to get what you need? Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's very hard. And no matter what healthcare system you go on, it's just very difficult because lots, some people start on Google. Other people ask for recommendations. Other people, you know, uh, a doctor might be telling them, but then they're thinking, oh, I need a second opinion now. Why is it so hard to get what you need in a timely manner? But not only to get what you need, to also make sure that what you need is right at the first time. Yeah. So, you know, as I've worked for lots of organizations, you know, so I've worked for GE Healthcare where I was involved okay. on, you know, building hospitals and, you know, uh, harmonizing, you know, humans and devices. Uh, and then I worked for an international company uh, called International SOS, where, you know, where their focus is, you know, whether you're a traveler, an expat, you know, you get the best level of care no matter where you are. Right. And then my right. most recent and then before Rapid Health, I was for Doctor Care Anywhere, which was like Babylon. It's a telehealth Oh, nice. Company. You were at DCA. All right, cool. Okay. Do you know like so, Claire, so, Claire Gray and the crew? Yeah, 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 Claire. Yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, and if you look at kind of my experiences, I've worked both uh, in, you know, the, the actual delivery of care, but also in the operations of care. And what you yeah. find is typically, you know, they're, they're not always uh, synced up. And, and that's you know, and, and that's not because the tech doesn't exist. OK. And it's also not because, you know, it's uh, it's impossible to do. But you know, the reality is it's, it's primarily because of all the constraints around that, you know, the systems at play, the safety, the compliance. It's very difficult. And then from a commercial perspective, I mean, here's something, you know, which your audience will appreciate. It's difficult to commercialize something in healthcare quickly because before you commercialize it or before you can actually start sending it, you've got to make sure it's safe. You've got to make yeah, sure you've got a huge, a huge yeah. lag. Yeah. So MV and, and, and you know an MVP in healthcare is dangerous. Yeah, I agree. You got to you. Yeah, it's that it's that it's that period of time where you've got to well you've you've it's that paradox, right? You need an MVP because you need to have real world data, but your right. MVP needs yeah. to be yeah. at such a higher level that it's yeah. almost a finished product. So that's one of the big tensions. And, and, and that's where we at Rapid Health did it upside down. We never built a product first we actually built the platform first which is right. you know it goes against what lots of people say but through the experience of the team we have you know a lot of experience in healthcare it was like well the only way to solve this is build the platform so you can build the integrated products to solve the problem yeah i love it makes sense carmelo thank you very much for coming on the show um been a fantastic show i i'm really really pleased that we got to dig into this area with you and um i wish you all the best Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio.